You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, hey, Gospel Hope. Uh, great to be with you once again. And uh, man, this week, uh, what an awesome word from Rod as we wrapped up our It's Complicated series and and read this soap opera text. So, uh, Rod, can you... Can you recap what happened in that story in in just about a minute or two? Can you blitz through that real fast? Yeah, real quick. So obviously at the end of uh, David's sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah, the Lord made a promise essentially in his righteousness that while I'm not going to condemn you, David, to death, you are going to deal with the consequences of sin, that a sword will, uh, an opposition will live in David's family. And And we see it in the very next chapters, beginning with, uh, the children, uh, one of them, um, uh, Amnon, rapes his sister Tamar, Absalom, mm-hmm. one of the brothers, then uh, acts in revenge and kills his brother, goes into hiding because he's being pursued by his father for justice. Then David is intercepted by someone who gives him a word of kind of wisdom and say, hey, I don't know if you want to pursue and kill your son. David then welcomes Absalom back mm. to his presence, but not necessarily into his good graces, because they live separately, even though they're in the same space. Uh, Absalom, obviously somewhere in his heart, develops animosity toward his father, starts to gain ground and popularity to usurp the authority of his father and take over his kingdom. Once David discovers that, David goes on the run from Absalom to avoid being taken out by his son. And sure enough, Absalom, as he's gaining popularity and pulling more counsel to himself, does win the hearts of all of it, most of Israel, and actually his dad's on the run, and he's trying to kill his father in battle. Well, Lord's mm-hmm. not having, neither is Joab, uh, and the 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 men of David and the and and Absalom, uh, and Absalom's killed. Uh, David is grieved by that his son being killed because he never wanted Absalom to be killed. Just in like fashion, we've seen David's life and all the other episodes. He's been very much committed to reconciliation, even when it was Saul that was on his back. Uh, And so no different with his son. Um, And then at the end of the story, we have this interesting event where Absalom is dead, but a man named Shimei, who had really spoken despitefully against David and all of his men and had wished ill against him, that the Lord would take the kingdom away from him and give it to Absalom, actually comes back to David and apologizes and because the thing that he had done was warranting of death based on the testimony of all the other people who really aligned themselves with David. And David said, no, don't kill him. Um, and not only forgave, but made an oath that he wouldn't do the man harm. And so uh, so at a very high level, that was seven chapters in about a minute, uh, as best I could right. do it. Uh, <laughs> but, but quite the soap opera, rape, revenge, rampage, and reconciliation. If I had to hashtag it, I guess. Right. (laughs) So at the heart of that story is this conflict between David and his son Absalom, who who the story makes clear that that David loves. I Mm -hmm. mean, when when Absalom was killed, David is absolutely heartbroken. And this this relationship is filled with ups and downs. Yeah. So, Rod, you mentioned in there uh, in your sermon that sometimes that our closest relationships are sometimes the toughest. Why do you think that is? Well, there's just so much emotional investment. You know, the people that are closest to us know all of the buttons to push. They know all of our vulnerabilities. 
Um, they've seen us uh, at our worst in some regards and at our best. I mean, I would imagine Absalom would have been fully aware of his father's adultery, uh, as well as, as well at the same time aware of his father's victories. So our best and our worst. And I think in our own lives, people who are that close to us, man, they um, they can exploit our vulnerabilities uh, and also do it in a way that they may not expect us to, uh, they may not expect much retribution from us. You know, it's, it's just a really tender place when someone knows everything about you. And when they become upset with you, they can use that to their disposal, uh, negatively or positively. And I think that's why our closest relationships sometimes become the riskiest because we've got the greatest degree of exposure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when, when Absalom killed Amnon, mm -hmm. it, it was an act of calculated revenge. Uh, yeah. You mentioned the message that, man, the right tact would be for, yes, Absalom should have been enraged by what happened, but then he should have taken that to the king, right. taken that to David to, to deal with in the proper channel of justice. But instead, mm -hmm. uh, Absalom went all Batman on us and uh, took out Amnon himself. Yeah. When we take revenge, and we've all been there, mm -hmm. right? When we take revenge, what are we saying about the Lord? As mentioned in the message, whenever we take revenge to our own hands, we're saying, God, either you're moving too slow, you don't know enough, you don't feel deeply, Lord, you aren't capable, or either you aren't interested in addressing mm -hmm. this the way that I think it needs to be addressed. And even more mm -hmm. dangerously, we're saying, God, I know better than you do how to handle this. That's a, that's a, you know, we might not want to think of it that way, but that is exactly what we're saying. Lord, I know the best way to bring this to, to bring closure to this. And I know better than you. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah when, when I thought about revenge, you know, revenge is a theological statement uh, when, because the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so when we take revenge we're, we're saying one of three things and you've kind of alluded to them i think they fit into these three buckets we're either saying god you're not good mm -hmm. you're, you're not doing the right thing here god you're not wise because mm. man if you were wise you wouldn't have let this happen or you would handle things in a different way or god you're not strong like mm. you can't do anything about it your hands are just tied and all three of those are grievous theological errors. Yeah. And uh, though we may never articulate, um, God, you're not worthy of our trust. You're not wise. You're not strong. You're not good. Um, though we may never say that, that's really the disposition of our heart when we let revenge get a foothold. You, you talked about that a few weeks ago as well, when you talked about what bitterness does to our soul. Um, you know, a pithy mm -hmm. way to put it is, you know, when you hold a grudge, you doubt the judge. And um, that's ultimately what mm. we're doing when we're taking revenge. So I yeah. thought, um, man, one of the most profound things that you talked about during the message really is a, it's, it's a big countercultural idea. And it, it's this, we need others to see ourselves clearly. Yep. You, you said that several different ways that, man, our self-perception in the absence of community is inaccurate um 
why do you think it, it is, even though that's a really culture, countercultural idea, why do you think it's so critical for believers to allow others to shape their self-perception? Yeah, I mean, we have a very uh, myopic view of things. You know, it's just my optics. It's, and I don't, I don't know if that's the right definition of myopic, but it's a singular view. I mean, we can't help ourselves but to have our perspective naturally shaped and contextualized by our own personal emotional and historical biases. I must be totally honest mm. that as much as I want to, let's just be, let's just, let's, let's just speak into like stuff like racial history. So like, I cannot escape how I grew up my first and worst and even best encounters with people of other ethnicities. I bring that into every situation. And if it's not tarnishing it, I'm have to actively suppress it. So I'm always in need of when it comes to whether it be personal biases on any given topic, the way I uh, interact with my wife, I'm bringing the full luggage of the 37 year marriage that I witnessed between my parents. You, you, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There is no space in life where we don't have all of this inherited baggage and we cannot suggest that all of it is objective and innocent and guilt-free and sinless. Therefore, we have to have the object, we must have the objective perspective of others regularly introduced so that we can see ourselves clearly because even when we feel like we're at our best there are just spaces where we're just missing some pieces of the story you know and it doesn't mean it's always iniquitous it could just be incomplete you know and i think that's why you know i mean look look at the bible gives us four gospels you know what i mean in other words in order to get a great view of jesus let's look at him from the perspective of the suffering servant the the king of the jews the son of mankind and 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 God in the flesh. Even the Bible mm -hmm. felt it was necessary to give us a multifaceted perspective of our Lord Jesus. Certainly, we need a multifaceted perspective of ourselves. And I believe that community in the church allows us to benefit from that. And mm -hmm. so, um, so yeah, th those are just kind of my, some of my, my thoughts on why community is so critical to seeing ourselves clearly. And then the great biblical characters also needed it. Mm -hmm. The prophets provided that. David. You know, in his relationship, Nathan provided that. The wise woman from Tekoa provided that. Um, so the Bible seems to be littered with these allusions to the fact that we need somebody from outside of us. Uh, and if I trust God's word, then I got to trust that I need that outside perspective as well. Um, do you think? Do you think that's different than what our culture at large thinks? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we. <laughs> I, I used the word, I, I wondered, I was talking to the kids the other day and we were talking about just the differences in how neighborhoods are being built. I believe that America is built on castle building. Let me draw the bridge and we keep to ourselves as opposed to community building. Let me live life where we're totally dependent and immersed in all these other people that live around us. Uh, that might be somewhat cheesy, but we were just trying to understand the difference between why the neighborhood I grew up in was so, we knew everybody, whereas the neighborhood we're in now we hardly know the people, you know, unless we've just had some forced encounters. There is just something about American life today, which is about how can we get, how can we get all we can and can all we get for us, ours. We are, we are becoming a naturally selfish society. Uh, that's just the wave of it, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, and so because that, because of that cultural narrative, um, or, or that momentum, 
it's hard to see the need for other people's perspectives. Um, so our mission at Gospel Hope is to grow in the gospel, our relationship with God as a family, our relationship with other believers. <clears throat> While on mission, our engagement with the world, which of those relationships were you thinking about through this message primarily? Well, it was, I mean, it was grown in our relationship with the Lord. You know, again, born out of David's life were three, or at least three Psalms were born out of this unique season where he had to really, when his relationship with others were really at risk, he had to drop anchor and really get focused on his relationship with the Lord to stay steady. Again, I mean, how can he be so committed, not just interested in, but committed to the well-being of others if there wasn't mm. something other than, the, if there wasn't the Lord that was constantly pulling on his heart or giving him some sense of restraint. And that's, I just think mm. it's just growing our relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, letting 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 worship be our windshield wipers, if you will, uh, to yeah. help give us a clear view of what's happening in all of these, this the storm that's happening uh, in his yeah. life. And so that was a thing that I was thinking about. Got that out beautifully too, because I, I never thought I, I thought in some senses David's um you called it a commitment to reconciliation with both Absalom and Shemai. Um I always thought of those as like David was like a man defeated in one sense. Mm -hmm. He was just like he couldn't really rise up, but the way you brought it up is you were seeing that as an evidence of grace in his heart where he was mirroring the heart of God. And I thought that was a beautiful point of perspective. I, I'd never thought about, but I, I thought you did a great job handling that, which, which kind of brings us to the last point. How mm -hmm. does this passage display the reconciling hope of the gospel? And um, you really drilled down into this, this cursing Benjamite. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? How, how yes. does this interaction between, David and Shemai yeah. reveal the reconciling hope of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. So I'm reading through this, you know, the six or seven chapters here, and I'm just noticing how out of all the things that the Bible can talk about, you know, the Holy Spirit is really given a lot of HD, a lot of color, uh, a lot of definition to Shemai's actions toward David in chapter 16. And I'm like, man, the Lord is really going hard in the paint to let us know that this guy is cussing David out and all the men with him. He's throwing dirt, he's throwing rocks. And as I said, he must have had a lot of rocks at his, like he was saving up rocks for this moment because I mean, he was yeah. getting them coming in town and out. And then to show us- Right, and I love, I love Abishai here. Yeah. Hey, you want me to go take his head off? Like he's yeah. just like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. You want me to go remove his head? Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, everybody knew that this was a foul play. Like that, there was this was yeah. this was it was crazy. And and considering how prone to just check in, you know, uh, wild and and wacky behaviors David was. You know, David was. You know, David is not a punk for lack of a better word. I mean, he is a man that can really go in here and, and right. take care of business. As a matter of fact. It was Ahithophel who was reminding Absalom, hey, man, yeah. you you don't want to go to battle with your dad. You know what I mean? He's somewhere laying low. And when he when him and his men descend on the folks you send, their hearts are going to melt like candles. So 
everybody knows David hadn't lost a step. He knows what he's doing in terms of battle. So you got all that time spent, the Bible describing for Shimei's sin. It's it's grievous. We already knew Absalom was off the chain. And now you got this other guy. And then here comes Shimei or Shimei with hat in hand after he knows that David has kind of closed the deal. And it's like, hey, I'm sorry. And Shimei repents and David receives him. And it was just, uh, you know, it was just a beautiful thing. And and perhaps that the Lord had mellowed his heart in in some ways, because maybe the old David would have, you know, would have, you know, done this guy in. Uh, but but to watch his repentance again, as you heard in the message, man, it just reminded me of that conversation on the cross. Dave, um, you know, the Lord hanging between two thieves, both equally guilty. One continuing off at the mouth, but one saying, "Wait a minute, I'm really guilty of this." Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You, you know what I mean? Recognizing, seeing the king for who he really was, not mm-hmm. just a evil man hanging there for all to see. One man saw the Lord in his feebleness, one thief. The other one saw him glory. And I believe that's kind of, you know, what Shimei saw. He's like, this is still the Lord's anointed, even if he is a man who might be, you know, somewhat worn down. This is still the Lord's anointed. Uh, and he came with fear and understood his uh, a, a heart of true recalcitrance or whatever, or, you know, repentance. So um, so I think the reconciling hope in the text is visible there that even when we have put our foot in our mouths, both feet in our mouths, as Shemai had done, man, we can still go before the Lord in repentance. Like there is, there is no such thing as having messed up too bad to, to come to a place mm. of repentance. I, I hope that we can see that in the text, that if we'll come to mm. repentance, the Lord is prepared to receive us. And I think that same option was available to, to Absalom, as his father was committed to reconciling him and trying to keep him safe mercifully, because he didn't owe Absalom that. He was running against the Lord's anointed. So mm. that's why I think reconciling hope, yeah. Yeah, and the beautiful thing is there, we're all shem- my. Well, I'll share my. Unfortunately, you know, our king is is even more merciful than David, and he will receive us when we repent. So, uh, great, great gospel analogy there. So, thanks so much for serving us so well yesterday. Man, folks, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the message, go out online and watch it or listen to it. Uh, Do yourself a favor on that. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, Thanks, Rod, again, and Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m. or check out gospelhopechurch.com.